out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello again, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. Often, mostly I say, playing the best in indie pop from the golden decade that was the 80s. But I've been going through my back catalogue of interviews and came across this one with the performer Penny Arcade, who um, I spoke to quite a few years ago now, probably the mid-teens, I don't know, 2014-15, when she had been performing in London on one of her mini shows. And uh, this is the interview, and I thought, I, you know, going through the archives, let's just put it out there. Someone might be interested, highly unlikely, but it's a nice bit of filing, and I've enjoyed doing it. So this is it, me and Penny, in conversation, unedited, but full of interesting stories. Penny, take it away. Well, it began quite by accident, I suppose. Um, you know, I had ended up in New York, and... Um, I had met someone, Jamie Andrews, who went on to uh, be one of a handful of people who came to London from New York in 1972, um, or actually 71, I suppose it was, to do Andy Warhol's play Pork um, in London at the Roundhouse. And they met Angela and David Bowie, and it was Jamie Andrews and part of the cast from that play that turned David Bowie from a kind of homely folk singer into the glitter glam person that we know today. But Jamie met me when I was 16, and um, I met him again in New York um, when I turned 17 and sure. went to live with him. Okay. And he was in the Playhouse of the Ridiculous, and he brought me to the Playhouse of the Ridiculous, and I became a member of it. Okay, then. And then shortly after that, I started working with Andy Warhol. Right. So that's how it all started. So you had you... And then... mm, So I was supposed to be in Pork in London in 71 uh, at the Roundhouse, but I decided instead to go with John Picaro to Amsterdam with the Playhouse of the Ridiculous. And I stayed with them for a while, and then... I just did a Rambo and just left right. and had adventures. I went to live in Spain, and I spent sort of 10 years knocking around, doing theater with different people and traveling. And then in 1981, when I was 30, I went back to New York and did the last play, a revival of the last play I had done in New York in 1970. And then I started making my own work. and. How did I get to where I am today? I just kept making work. Right. So going just slightly back, so what was it like when you were growing, you know, in your teens before, because obviously not many people sort of go from the age of, I don't know, up to the age of 17 and suddenly start to meet people like Andy Warhol and um, and folk like that. What was what was your progression? I mean, were you interested? Well, in- I'm, I'm from an immigrant peasant, southern Italian family, which created a lot of problems, you know, being the first one born in America, and I ended up running away when I was 13 and then got put into Borstal for two years, and that's where I wrote my first play. Right. Um, A nun saw me have a fit in the dining room, which apparently was very entertaining, and the next day she said that she thought I should write a play. Fantastic. And I did. And that's how that started. But I think that 
you know, some people are just outsiders, you know, they're just natural outsiders and they they either collapse under the disapproval and judgment of society and then if somehow they're very lucky and don't get trampled to death okay. by life, um, become who they're meant to be. Right. And I think that's what happened to me. So did you have you lost con- did you lose contact complete with your parents during that period? No, I didn't. But you know, it was still a very difficult uh, was a very difficult relationship to have. Right. And then, did you find performing at the, the in the early days quite? You know, did it come you know um, easily to you? Yes. Well, I think that in New York, a lot of the people that you one thinks of as you know, sort of the seminal figures of that period from the late 60s um, were just like that anyways. Patti Smith or um, Iggy Pop or any of those people that, you know, we all started together. Sure. Jane County and, I mean, you, you know, they were already characters on their own, you know. Um, but, it was a different period because there wasn't much of an idea of career. No, you know, there wasn't the careerism. No, there wasn't, was there? You know? But it was quite no, interesting was because, because obviously with those people like Iggy Pop and David Bowie especially, I mean, their careers were only just starting to be born. They they were still quite unknown. It's only sort of during the, the, right. the, 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 the sort of as the 70s progressed that David Bowie became such a star. But obviously you must have met him when he was on the cusp between being a folksy singer and being Ziggy Stardust. Well, I, I actually didn't meet him then because I didn't go to London, you see, but I knew about him. But David Bowie was very influenced by Wayne County because Wayne County went to London in 71 with his band Wayne County and the Electric Chairs and completely electrified London. Right. And actually, there's a lot of, you know, conjecture about the real influence and even some of the music of Bowie's from that very early period. Um, his manager, Tony DeFreeze, had all of Wayne County's demos. He demoed him. Sure. And then those demos disappeared. And then David Bowie's music appeared, right. like the Young Americans. You know, so, you know... That's what David Bowie's singing about, is about those people, those New Yorkers who came to New York, sure. came from New York to London in 1971. So, you know, the, it's, you know... The world of entertainment is a sordid story, my dear. It is very sordid at times. And what was it like? Obviously, did you say you worked with um, Andy Warhol in the early 70s? In the Yeah, I did in the late 60s, early 70s, I did. And, and by... um, it was, you know, it was, it, there were two games in town in New York. There was the Playhouse of the Ridiculous, which was the original glitter, glam, pre-punk scene, sure. theater scene. And then there was Warhol, but I mean a lot of the the a lot of the what became punk came out of John Vaccaro. I mean, if you read the book Please Kill Me, it kind of really charts that whole history. Sure. 
And um, was it, um, an ex did you feel at that particular period like outsiders or, or was there enough of a scene that made you feel quite comfortable in your own, you know, doing no, your own it was, I was an insider in a scene of outsiders. I mean, they were all outsiders because there wasn't any career to be had. I mean, even Andy Warhol wasn't famous in 1969. No, absolutely. You know, he was maybe notorious, you know, but it was all very underground. It wasn't, you know, as if it was, um, you know, some kind of a phenomena that was happening in the mainstream world. Sure. And did you fit in? And I think that's very hard for people to understand, you know, especially now that Simon Cowell has made the world, you know, incredibly unsafe for originality. Yes, absolutely. And did you feel that you were onto something quite exciting during that very early period of the late 60s? Well, I think early... that we were all very excited about the fact that, you know, we all met each other and that, you know, if you're someone who doesn't fit into your town and your school and you feel quite alone in the world and then you go to someplace like New York at that period... And I'm sure it's true for people who went to London or Paris or wherever they went. And you suddenly meet all of these people who are very similar to you, and they're all, you know, fun and exciting. Then all of a sudden you think, well, okay, you know, maybe I'm not so weird after all, sure. you know? How did you start to develop your own solo career? Well, I came back to New York. I was out of New York from 1971 to 1981. And I lived in Spain for a long time and did theater there. And then I went to live in northern Maine and I did theater up there in totally incongruous places where it was kind of hard to do theater, but I did it anyways. And then when I came back to New York, I came back because I was invited to reprise this play of the Playhouse of the Ridiculous called Nightclub by Ken Bernard for La Mama Theater's uh, 20th anniversary. And there was... Things had changed. There was like a new... a different kind of art scene happening that was kind of academic. You know, sure. academia had started to... it started to get its toehold in, you know. And there was a tremendous minimalism going on because, you know, the punk scene in New York was very different from the punk scene in London. The punk scene in New York was not political at all. Right. You know, it was more of a cult of personality. It was a more romantic kind of movement, whereas in Britain it was really political, and I, I think, therefore, in a lot of ways, much more exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so New York, at the end of the 70s, you know, after, you know, being overtaken by disco, there was a backlash in the early 80s sure. to to that. And, um, and I think that we were somewhat influenced by the political punk movement in Britain. Sure. You know, it was, everything was much edgier, and it was Reagan, you know, so sort of like a Thatcher period, and people were rebelling against that. And there was a sense of new stuff happening in the East Village, and one of those new things that was happening was performance art. Right. And I got thrown out of the Playhouse of the Ridiculous in 1981 by John Vaccaro um, because I talked back to him or just didn't, you know, 
lay down and die <laughs> to his wishes. And it was kind of scary because, you know, that's what I was used to doing performance with in New York. Sure. And and when it happened, um, Jackie Curtis and Taylor Mead and Holly Woodlawn were all ecstatic and saying, oh, who knows what Penny will do now. But I, I didn't feel that way. I was quite frightened. Right. And then, you know, I saw that people were doing stuff, you know, kind of they're very short, five-minute kind of solo performance stuff. And then um, I started, you okay. know, and um, I've always been very good with characters, and I've always been um, an improviser. I've always been very good with dialogue. And I was very ambitious artistically okay. because I was now, you know, in my 30s and, you know, had had... I'd already been performing since I was 17, so, you know, I'd really um, had a lot of background, but I wasn't like a lot of other people. I wasn't, I didn't have the same kind of self-confidence as Patti Smith or Wayne County or any of those people. I have a different kind of personality, and I really felt I needed to develop my ability. And so I I used the 80s to develop my ability. Okay. And then in the 90s, which was when I was in my early 40s, was when I really kind of broke through. And I broke through, you know, in an international way. Right. You know, and first, in, first in London, then in, then in Australia. And, I mean, I still haven't really broken through to the mainstream in America. No. So look, Penny, just tell us, you know, for any budding artist or creative person out there, what, you know, what just, you know, what what's your advice to people, not just about an artist, but, you know, just life in general? What, what would you say your philosophy in life would be? Well, I believe at this point in my life, and I think I believed this all along because that's how I ended up where I am, is that everyone has a particular reason for being born, and it's in you. It's not outside of you. And Quentin Christ used to talk about this quite a bit. And he said, you have to take the journey within, the most unpleasant journey of all. And also Louise Bourgeois, the famous sculptor, said as much. She said, first you have to be truly honest about who you are. Then you have to accept who you are. And then the dialogue begins, because ultimately, your life is about you with you. It's not really about what other people think. So most of us spend our teenage years and our 20s and our 30s trying to get the approval of people. Right. And the truth of the matter is, is that approval is really meaningless, because you need to approve of yourself. Trying to get approval from other people is always kind of a second thing. You're looking for the approval of these people outside of you to approve of you so that then you can feel comfortable about approving of yourself. But then you're not not being true to yourself if you happen to sort of be somebody that you aren't. Right, but people talk about being true to yourself, but nobody knows what that means. And that means, like, having some respect for your own development. And we're living in an era where there's absolutely no respect for development at all. You know, people who are 23 are supposed to, you know, suddenly have their, you know, 
know what they're doing and have a voice and have a philosophy and 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 that's not how it works. Sure. You're supposed to create that from, you know, your teens to your 40s. And Excellent. then you have your own vocabulary and then, you know, the work begins in earnest, whatever that work is. Mm. But I think that people come to see my shows because I talk about this stuff a lot because I went through it and I've lived it and I go through it all the time because, you know, it's a second by second thing, owning your own life. And that was me in conversation with Penny Arcade. I know it did um, finish abruptly. I will check out that it's not another version of that, which goes on for days. Anyway, look, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just to at C86 Show, and I will be there. And also, I've been archiving these shows, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, that we love, and also Mixcloud. There you go. Check it out. It might just change your life. Anyway, have a great week.